This is Binghamton Now on News Radio 1290 WNBF Binghamton and WNBF.com. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Good morning on this Thursday, January 5th. You're listening to WMBF. Some people passing by a closed business in the heart of downtown Binghamton were intrigued when they spotted colorful lights and a disco ball inside the place. The light display inside what had been Dos Rios Cantina at 60 Court Street has prompted questions about what might be going on at the former restaurant site. Dos Rios and a related next-door business, the Colonial, ceased operations last April. A large exterior Dos Rios sign was removed from the building in August, and the site was listed for lease. In recent weeks, there's been growing speculation about the future of the property, with unconfirmed reports that a new restaurant may be opened at the site. Yaron Queller, a representative of the building owner Court and State LLC, said there have been talks with potential tenants. In an email, he wrote, We are currently in negotiations with two tenants for the former Dos Rios space and look forward to sharing details once a deal is finalized. He declined to identify those who have expressed an interest in the site. In Broome County Court, Richard T. Lance Jr., age 39 of Kirkwood, entered a plea of guilty to the felony crime of failure to comply with the New York State Sex Offender Registration Act. He will be sentenced to a year and a half to three years in New York State prison when he's sentenced on March 22nd. During August of 2022, Lance, who had reported to law enforcement that he was residing at an address in the village of Johnson City, was not living there and failed to provide an address to local law enforcement as required under the New York State Corrections Law. Lance was convicted of rape in the third degree in 2008 in Broome County. Broome County District Attorney Michael Korchak stated the New York State Sex Offender Registration Act implemented reporting guidelines for a reason, the protection of the public. Compliance is not optional. The Broome County Sheriff's Office and the District Attorney's Office will continue to work together, tracking down offenders and vigorously prosecuting them. On January 4th, New York State Police and Herkimer, along with the Mohawk Police Department, responded to a reported stabbing incident outside the residence at 30 East Main Street in the village of Mohawk, Herkimer County. When officers from the Mohawk Police Department and troopers arrived on scene, they discovered 26-year-old to Kia LaPlante outside the residence with multiple stab wounds in the chest area. She was immediately transported by Movac Ambulance to St. Elizabeth's Hospital in Utica, where she is listed in critical condition. Troopers located 21-year-old Taylor E. Goodhines near the scene and placed her in custody without incident. Goodhines, who resides at 70 East Main Street, was subsequently arrested and charged with attempted murder in the second degree, assault in the first degree, and criminal possession of a weapon in the fourth degree. Goodhines was processed and transported to the Herkimer County jail on $150,000 cash bail, $300,000 bond. On January 4th, state police arrested Todd A. Estes, age 44, from Blossville, New York, for rape in the first degree, a Class B felony, and unlawful imprisonment in the second degree, a Class A misdemeanor. Estes was arrested following an investigation into a report from the 48-year-old female victim who was an acquaintance of Estes. The victim stated Estes used duct tape around her head, zip-tied her hands behind her back, and wrapped the rope around her neck down to her feet, and that she was held captive for a few hours as she could not move or call 911. The victim also stated she was forced to have sexual intercourse. Estes was transported to the Oneida County Jail to await centralized arraignment. A new Republican New York State Assemblyman took his seat in the chamber Wednesday despite the threat of being blocked by Democrats who question whether he meets residency requirements. Lester Chang became the first Asian American elected to represent Brooklyn's growing Chinatown in the state assembly on November 8th. But after the election, Democrats in control of the assembly questioned whether Chang lived in Brooklyn for a year prior to election day as required by law. Chang says his current residence is his Brooklyn childhood home. While assembly Democrats have debated behind closed doors whether Chang should be seated, they took no 
action on the first day of the new legislative session. The stalemate over the Republican House Speaker vote is more than just an embarrassment for Kevin McCarthy, who is now the first person in a century to muddle through multiple ballots. The revolt is raising alarms within the party. As members warn, they are sabotaging their new narrow majority and alienating voters as they struggle to perform their most basic function, electing their own leader. The episode also poses more profound questions about the party's identity and future. It's a fresh reminder of former President Donald Trump's waning influence inside the GOP as he again seeks the party's presidential nomination. Prosecutors say a man accused of attacking police with a machete near New York's Times Square on New Year's Eve was intent on committing a jihad against government officials and shouted Aluha Akbar before striking one officer in the head and attempting to grab another officer's gun. Trevor Bickford, who was shot by police during the confrontation, was arraigned by video from a Manhattan hospital and ordered held without bail. He did not enter a plea. NFL players and coaches are rallying to support DeMar Hamlin a few days after the Buffalo Bills' safety's heart stopped and he needed to be resuscitated during a game at Cincinnati. Colts safety Rodney Thomas made the two-hour drive from Indianapolis to Cincinnati to provide his sedated friend words of encouragement. Vikings defensive tackle and former Bills teammate Harrison Phillips arranged to have dinner delivered to the hospital. Hamlin's marketing representative Jordan Rooney told the Associated Press, the player's recovery is moving in a positive direction. The Bills say Hamlin is still in critical condition, but has shown signs of improvement. National Weather Service forecast for downtown Binghamton. Today, partly sunny with a high near 52. Tonight, a slight chance of showers after 3 a.m. Partly cloudy with a low near 35 degrees. Chance of rain 20%. Tomorrow, chance of showers mainly between 7 a.m. and 1 p.m. Cloudy with a high near 42 degrees. 40% chance of rain. Tomorrow night, chance of snow showers after 1 a.m. Mostly cloudy with a low near 30 degrees. Chance of snow 30%. Saturday, a chance of snow showers before 10 a.m., then a chance of rain and snow showers. Mostly cloudy with a high near 37, chance of snow 40%. Saturday night, slight chance of snow showers before 1 a.m., mostly cloudy with a low near 25 degrees, chance of rain 20%. And Sunday, mostly sunny with a high near 38. Sunday night, chance of snow showers after 1 a.m., mostly cloudy with a low near 29 degrees, chance of snow 30%. You're listening to WMBF for News Breaks First, News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1. One FM. best for you and then show your GoodRx coupon to your pharmacist at the drop-off counter. GoodRx works at over 70,000 pharmacies, including Walmart, Rite Aid, and Walgreens, and it works whether you have insurance or not. It's easy to save. Next time you drop off your prescription, check GoodRx. To start saving today, go to GoodRx.com. GoodRx is not insurance. Who's Joseph, Thursday morning, let's get it underway. 607-772-1290 is our number. If you'd like to talk, if you have a few thoughts to share, please entertain me. Oh, no. 
we dance into another big day, we welcome you. Hope you're morning is off to a fine start. By the way, if you have laryngitis this morning and therefore are unable to verbalize your thoughts, you can fire off an email to bob at wnbf.com. Excellent. Excellent. So, what's going to happen today? What sort of announcements will be forthcoming? Hint, hint. Announcements? Did you say there will be an announcement? (laughs) Well, well, yes, of course, there will be an announcement, so... Probably. I know you're saying, but what will it be about? Eh, Who knows? Who knows? As they say on radio, stay completely tuned. Stay completely tuned. And that way you'll know what's going on around here. As mentioned on Wednesday's program, I had unofficially decided I wouldn't be talking much about newspapers this year since it seemed I spent a disproportionate amount of time in 2022 discussing newspapers. But sadly, the corporate bean counters at Gannett um, basically forced the issue. You can't ignore when they uh, make a big decision to leave New York. Gannett, at least uh, the printing facility that has so proudly printed the Press and Sun Bulletin and so many other fine Gannett titles over the last few years. The uh, facility at a place called Canal Ponds. Canal? I don't know. Never been there. Town of Greece. Remember, Greece is the word. Anyway, as we reported on uh, the program Wednesday, uh, Gannett Bean Counters have decided it's no longer economical to print Press and Sun Bulletin as well as uh, most of the other upstate New York papers they have, or all the other upstate papers they have um, near Rochester, and then truck them to their individual communities. So now they're planning to... <laughs> Start printing our paper in New Jersey. Well, whatever. Why don't they just print it in Bangalore, India, or Beijing? Or somewhere in Vietnam? Or maybe Africa, where the labor cost would be even lower. And then just fly fly in a bunch of bulk newspapers every couple of months and then distribute them to people who... Still spend a lot of money on a product that is a shadow of its former self. Anyway, um, sorry to report, Gannett, um, firing, I guess, another 108 people in the Rochester area. Of course, they fired about 100 people when they shut down the printing plant in Johnson City after 12 years of use. So, uh, obviously, 
the trends are clear, and if Gannett wants to ultimately have one paper called U.S. Today and then some other paper, I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, obviously, they don't know. Well, I think they know what they're going to do. They just won't tell us. I think they just shut down all the printing presses and get it over with. Just get it over with. Let's uh, go to the phones on this Thursday morning. 607-772-1290. Good morning. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Wait, hold on. Hold on. We have a new a new system in place, so if I don't punch in... Hold on. I have to punch in the security code. Well, we've had this problem with unauthorized host putting calls on the air, so now a security code has to start it off. Okay, I usually do it before before we take to the air. Anyway, good morning. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Oh, this is Larry from Kirkwood. I can't believe it. You guys didn't even hear me. <laughs> no, because I didn't punch in the six-digit security code that changes every three minutes. Wow. Yeah, well, it's high security. You don't want unauthorized hosts conducting their own private program for their friends. Oh, give me a second here. I got to do something here. Okay. I'm back. Okay. Um, wow. Surprised I'm the first caller here, Bob. Well, I am too, but you know, yep. maybe, maybe everybody's driving up to uh, the town of Greece to... Uh, Take pictures of the New York State's last newspaper printing plant. I thought, you know, let me preface this by saying I love James. I really do. But I thought that people would be all over him, over to the news comments that he made. I mean, really. I mean. What comments did he make? Unfortunately, the last, for the last hour and 20 minutes, I've been out around the triple cities at various spots reporting and asking questions of people so i i missed what what did well, what did mr just... kelly say <laughs> now if you're listening james i love you man i really do but he was talking about uh the, the buffalo bills player who had the, the cardiac arrest on the field there and saying that you know um that there's no proof that there's any that the vaccine that could have caused this thing, and uh, and and talking about um, the various reports of players uh, collapsing on the field after having taken the vaccines, is no proof that that caused it. Well, it's it's such a bunch of nonsense. That's that is. Wait, if he says there's no proof, then James Kelly is 100 percent correct. I support Mr. Kelly, if that's what he said. And again, sadly, because I was out asking people questions on my, uh, as I took a circuitous route here to the station, I didn't, I didn't actually hear what he had to say. So if, if the upshot was that there is absolutely no indication that vaccines have had any, anything to do with athletes collapsing, that, that much I can say is accurate so i i certainly i certainly support i support i support james kelly one thousand percent that's not accurate that's nonsense it really is 
I mean, you got these young guys. This guy's only 24 years old, and he takes a hit. And remember, these guys are well padded, so they're, 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 their suits are made to take huge hits on them. And the guy get, collapses from the, this heart attack he gets. I mean, well, athletes, athletes over the years, I mean, whether it's for major teams, football, basketball, other sports, even athletes here in Broome County, young athletes have died suddenly under somewhat similar circumstances. So, you know, and that was well before COVID and well before the vaccines. So. It's. Oh, I mean, that, I, I appre- very rare. Yes, very, very just, rare. just like just like what happened in the Bills game the other night is exceedingly rare. So, having said that, you know, if you have proof, I think you should send it to me. Well, I wish I did have. Proof. Well, I wish you did too, because when you when you spew something, well, that's that sounds. Mean. I didn't when when you when you maintain something that's unsupportable by the facts and and furthermore you, you acknowledge on the air well i have no proof but it's fun to say well sure it's fun to say but it's also not true to the best of our knowledge well the fact of the matter is you guys are saying the opposite you guys are don't have proof of that either uh, well i agree we don't have we don't have conclusive proof, but there's no evidence to support your theory. And it's so that's what it is. It's a theory. Now, having said that, because I try to be fair and open minded, if at some point medical professionals, researchers, scientists who are trustworthy, if they release information, that supports the the hypothesis or the theory. I'll look at it. I'll consider it. I'm, I've never said that that's uh, stuff that we, shall we say, generally believe to be true, uh, ultimately can't be refuted. So it could be refuted, but at the, at this moment at nine twenty three a.m. on Thursday, there's no there's no evidence to support what you're saying. Well, it's a theory. Well, I- what I can say is the truth about the reaction to receiving the vaccines a couple of people that I know of, nurses, who had to take it because they're in a medical profession and the state required it. And one of them was sick for a few days after she had the vaccine. And another one with her sister-in-law, I think it was, they had the vaccine. They walked out of the place, and the one sister collapsed on the ground, and the other one, she, she all of a sudden, her arms constricted, and it, it almost collapsed on the ground. And it lasted for a few minutes. But this is the reaction they had from just taking the vaccine a few minutes before that. So nobody can tell me that the, these these vaccines don't have problems with them, that they don't cause these reactions, that they're not dangerous. They can be. So, anyway. All right. Well, that's that's your view. Yep. What sort of medical training do you have? 
<laughs> Do you have medical training? Come oh on. no, I don't either. No, that, no, we're we're equal. But my my point is, and I want to emphasize this to the viewing audience out there: there's nothing to support the incidents that that you described, either with with the people that you mentioned or or others that we've heard about in the media that those problems are reflective of of major issues with the vaccines now the reality with anything that you ingest i mean look look at an aspirin bottle or look at heck look at almost everything even even some food or beverages that that you may consume sometimes there are warnings about what could happen? You know, every person yeah, does have certain sensitivities, and I, I certainly am not going to say that out of a, a country with more than 330 million people that there aren't some Americans who have serious sensitivities or possibly um, they could be allergic to certain components in some of the vaccines. I mean, the, the reality is. I mean, look at the... Um, if you ever watch, say, the 6.30 news on TV, as some people my age still insist on doing, it seems more than half the commercials are for fine things to make our lives better. But a key component of all those fine things that you're supposed to ask your doctor about include uh, such warnings that you know could cause your tongue to fall out and could potentially have fatal reactions. So, you know, I, I mean... We, I'll, I will st- I will be clear to you. I don't know for sure where this will lead, but I, I do, I do uh, caution people against jumping to to some conclusions, especially say regarding the, the case of um, the Bills player this week. I don't know. someday someday some people who do health research may be able to demonstrate that a vaccine was a factor. Or a cause. I I yep. personally don't think it's going to happen. But hey, if if um, relatively conclusive evidence eventually comes out, I would be willing to talk about it on the program. You know when when and if it happens. I, as I say, I try to be open minded. Well, I think that relatively conclusive evidence has been discovered by lots of doctors, and I've listened to plenty of. Uh, doctors who work in a field of virology on the radio who said to talk about how dangerous these things are, that they're very dangerous, and they know this. That's their opinion. That's their opinion. So far as I know, they haven't presented any strong, conclusive evidence or what we would consider to be proof. But they're welcome to their opinion. Some, Some of those who have been most outspoken against the vaccines over the last couple of years. Uh, Their credentials have been called into question, but we'll see. We'll see. As you may have heard, I, by nature, am am very skeptical. So uh, we'll see. And if, if something comes out in three months or three years that seems to prove what you're saying, I'll be on the program saying, gee, I was wrong and Larry was right. Well, I, I don't care about me being. No, right. I know. I I know it's not not a question of whether you or I have the you know the correct view on it. That's it's irrelevant. I'm just saying that 
I, I personally, at this point, strongly believe, again, just a guy with absolutely no medical credentials, I believe that the vaccines that are now available in the United States are generally safe for most people. That's what I believe. You disagree. Yep. Well, one last thing. Sure. Dave, I still love you. Please don't hate me for what I said. He's not going to hate you. (laughs) The thing about what I'll tell you, and I think you know this at WNBF, nobody hates listeners, uh, even those who disagree with us. We love all of our listeners. I love. I think I love some of the listeners. Some of the listeners who disagree with me most, I probably love love the best. So, no, and I, I guess maybe I rank on that one. Yes, well, I disagreed with you. A that's lot. okay. But it's hey, it's we're we're just having a conversation here. It doesn't doesn't mean we're not friends. Yep, that's true. I hope you have a great day. I'm happy to say uh, you're my. I consider you a friend, Bob. Thank you. Okay, okay man. Bless you. Nine thirty, Bob Joseph, your friend on Friend Radio, twelve ninety and ninety two one FM. WNBF. Good morning. I'm your friend, Bob Joseph. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? The chameleon. <laughs> oh well you i said uh i was friends with most of our listeners i didn't say all anyway johnny uh how are you this morning uh good uh you made reference to uh medical i'd like to talk about these commercials that are on television these rather grotesque uh commercials for prescription drugs and uh, health care products and i want to talk about uh your local doctor and uh, how to uh, know whether you got a good doctor or a bad doctor. And uh, if your primary care physician uh, uses non-medical terminology uh, for uh, defecation or for urination, uh, if they use these uh, silly schoolgirl terms, and most of these people that are uh, uh, not using proper medical terminology are are women, uh, and they think it's cute or whatever. You have a you have a commercial that's running not on your station but on television for a deodorant, and the woman is I checked her out. She is a licensed OBGYN in the state of Minnesota, and she uses all kinds of uh, gross terms to de- uh, improper terms to describe the human anatomy, and. Uh, you know, this is this is uh, something that you should be very, very concerned about. Uh, get a list, uh, uh, you know. Uh, don't say pee, say urinate, please, and have your physician do the same. Well, I've noticed that it, on, on more commercials, too, the marketing choice, and that's what it is, it's a marketing choice, to, uh, shall we say, communicate in a certain way with prospective customers and that's well especially i say the 630 news the the traditional evening news that still you know a few of us diehards still try to uh watch and again just given the way the audience skews seems that uh probably at least three quarters of the commercials are are for all sorts of fine in theory, find medical preparations and things that are designed to make my life 
trouble free. But uh, but again, no matter how it's presented and and cute and and sometimes, I mean, it's not just the language, but look at look at how the the settings. I mean, you've got people my age and older looking like they're having the times of their lives, like they're they're sixteen or seventeen or nineteen years old again. I'm thinking. Where where do they shoot these commercials? Because I want to move there. Because everybody who's my age or older is is having fun thanks to whatever they're taking. Well, uh, you know, Bob, you can you can bring these uh, so-called professionals back. Uh, when the the uh, the minute they start it with me, and I start using the proper terms, uh, then they come back uh, and recognize. Uh, what they're they're doing, but uh, you know there used to be some, something called the feminine mystique, and that's what sort of intrigued young men about women. You know, uh, Jackie Kennedy or whatever. You know, uh, Grace Kelly. It was very subtle, and uh, particularly if you didn't have sisters, you know, if you just had or like uh, Beyonce that, that sort of thing. Uh, no, that's 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 a grotesque. Uh, you know that that is disgusting. That is uh, uh, that's not even available on Times Square now. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> well, well, because of Rudy Giuliani. Let's be honest, yeah. Rudy. Rudy but, certainly. I I don't know much about uh, Mayor Giuliani's lasting legacy in Manhattan, Midtown, but that that certainly you know the fact that he paved the way for the Disneyfication of of Midtown, Midtown South, and but. Anyway, we, we're getting getting uh, yeah. sidetracked so, here. So what I'm what I'm getting at is, uh, you know, we've got real real problems here uh, with uh, our hospitals and our medical. You know, mostly traveling people now. Uh, people are being, you know, you want to talk about Gannett and how they consolidated. Uh, there's these hospitals that have completely consolidated, where people that had a primary. Uh, practice here are, are going elsewhere. I mean, they're going out to Missouri for, for a few weeks and then coming back here. Uh, you know, this, this is a big, big problem. Uh, you uh, need a hospital, and that is why I think, and a fully staffed one, I think that Utica, just on the basis of uh, a hospital alone, uh, is going to grow and prosper. And I think the triple cities is going to be uh, stuck uh, between a rock and a hard place because the people that are running these institutions uh, are running them into the ground. And, uh, you know, we saw Casanova College. We're going to see the – and by the way, the, 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 the BCC thing, no matter how you want to slice it, is a de facto bankruptcy. And uh, – be the first college, community college that I'm aware of in upstate New York to essentially be merged out of existence. Has it been merged yet? Did they do that over the holidays when I wasn't oh, looking? The, Bob, you, you've been to enough of these meetings. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I know. You, you don't need to be Karnak. Uh, uh, this, is, this is the plan. Let, let uh, Kevin Drum stay there get maximum uh, retirement benefits, suck all the money out, let let his crew, what's left of it, do the same, and then you will watch, what's interesting is, you will watch the higher-ups there that are still interested in working. They'll be the first uh, to move over to the administrative level of Binghamton University, but uh, 
this is a gigantic chunk of our history, a gigantic uh, uh, asset to the county just in real estate alone, and to let the university take over that when everything that they've touched, Bob, in the Stanger era has, has, has not lived up to expectations, and that's being kind. Thank you, John, from Binghamton on WNBF. It's 9.37. We're going to have more calls coming up on this program, undoubtedly, so stay tuned. Heck, if you want to be one of those callers, you can certainly start dialing now and make sure that you're persistent because sometimes it takes a few minutes before you get broadcast satisfaction. If you want automotive satisfaction, the place to check out is Miller Motors on the Parkway in Vestal, directly across from Binghamton University, 4455 Vestal Parkway East. Yes, right off the 201. It's easy to get to, easy and fun to motor on down to Miller Auto Team, the Miller Motors people. Ready for you today. They'll be there till 7 this evening. So if you're in the market for a new Honda, a new Hyundai, or a late model used vehicle, stop in and say hello. Introduce yourself. They'll give you all you need to know. If you're looking for a brand new vehicle, maybe they've got some nice vehicles in all the right colors on their way. Haven't been claimed yet by a buyer. Um, If you want to check out the used vehicle inventory, by all means, see for yourself at MillerAutoTeam.com. Miller Motors, they have been serving the Binghamton area for many decades, and they'll continue to serve the region for a long time to come. Miller Motors on the Parkway in Vestal. 939. This is your friend, Bob Joseph, on News Radio, WNBF, 92.1 FM, 12.90 AM, and always available on the free WNBF app. WNBF at 9.42. Bob Joseph on the phones with you and other fine inhabitants of planet Earth, including Ron over on the west side of Binghamton. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Bob. Say, I, I wanted to uh, mention something about the call you had earlier about vaccination tied to the coronary of the uh, Buffalo Bills football player. Um, Apparently there is, you know how the internet is, people go on and get all sorts of bogus information. One of the things that was circulating, uh, I think it popped up on Twitter, I'm not sure, but it was about supposedly a Dr. Edelman gave a a vaccination to DeMar, six days before he collapsed on the field. And so that started to spread. You know, you go to the sites most often, 
you know, hoax uh, perpetrators, you know, whether it's Brett Bart or you go to um, Prager U. I love that. I don't know if you're familiar with Dennis Prager. Oh, I am. He believes he, believes he has a university out there, the University of the uh, uh, e- Easily Fooled, I guess it is. But uh, at any rate, this Dr. Edelman was supposedly giving uh, Damore Hamlin a uh, vaccination six days before he collapsed on the field. And, of course, the the connection was made, you know. So I, I did go. I, I went to Snopes uh, for fact-checking. Uh, they said there was absolutely zero evidence that uh, Dr. Edelman gave him this shot. And on further examination, it was found that there wasn't even a Dr. Edelman. Well, there is a Dr. Edelman. I hear him on the radio advertising on infomercials, but yeah, yes, he certainly has, as far as I know, nothing to do with DeMar Hamlin. Right. Edelman, you know, if you search 330 million people, you're going to find a lot of Edelman. Some of them are doctors, but this is not the person that supposedly gave uh, DeMar uh, a, a uh, vaccination. So uh, beware there. Uh, check out the facts. Uh, the Internet, as you know, is rife with all sorts of misinformation and uh, people who pick that up and it serves their agenda. Uh, you know, I wanted to uh, mention something else regarding the football situation. Uh, there was a, um, a player. His, his name was uh, Chuck or Charles Hughes. He was 28 years old. In 1971, in a game between the Detroit Lions and the Chicago Bears, he had a coronary and died on the field. There were 54,000 fans at the stadium at that time. They took him off the field, and he died. Uh, They resumed the game 10 minutes later, whether they should have or should not have. that's, That's a question, but they did resume the game. So this this kind of thing ha- has happened before. And uh, when Demar Hamlin went down, uh, you know it's tragic. Hopefully he he will live without brain consequences, and uh, you know, he'll make it through. Uh, but what is interesting to me are the stories and how people react to them. Here's my thought. Uh, a few days ago, three, four, five days ago, in our area, a boy was struck by a pickup truck in Harpersville, 13-year-old boy. His name is Brennan Loveless. He was struck. The uh, pickup driver took off. Uh, uh, the uh, young man, 13-year-old, riding his bike, died. Um, and of course, his family, his friends, his school, his community, shocked by it, affected by it, uh, reverberations resonate in, in the area and such. Now, that's one tragic death, uh, which uh, happened in Harpersville. We've got one, well, not a death, but you know what happened on the football field. And uh, now, when this took place, we're we're overloaded with content about Damar and, uh, you know, prayers going out all over. There are two stories. Uh, is is why, why are we, and this is a rhetorical question more than anything, but why are we 
uh, using we in quotes, so concerned about this fine young person who who died on the, well, who was uh, injured and possibly you know fatally on the football field. Why why are we so committed to that story? And why you know has have we gone bonkers about that story? Mm-hmm. It is one person, and one person died in Harpersville. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, there are other other uh, s- scenarios that have happened over the years where we could look at at tragic things uh, involving loss of life or other uh, major circumstances where people have been injured and and one case receives an enormous amount of attention and uh, outcry from the public and say another case receives relatively little attention and. Um, I'm sure psychologists have done studies, and probably going forward at some point in the future, uh, studies will be done about the, um, the public and the media reaction to what happened at the Bills game and compare it to uh, some other things. I mean, look at uh, the enormous loss of life that continues in um, the war in Ukraine or the loss of life in natural disasters. Uh, let's face it, since the tragedy the tragic injury at the football game. Thousands of people around the world have died under uh, very heartbreaking circumstances, and yet we spend little, if any, time thinking about it. I appreciate your call. Sure. 9.49. Bob Joseph live. If you have a thought, we have a phone line. I have a microphone. We'll try to put them together so we can have our community dialogue as we do every morning from 9 to noon. Number is 607-772-1290. This is News Radio WNBF and WNBF.com. I never- WNBF at 952. This is Bob Joseph. Back to the phones. Bob and Vestal. Good morning. You're on the air. You mean Round Top, Bob? Yes, Round Top, Bob. Good morning. Yesterday yesterday I was heading over to go for a walk down the Vestal flood wall, and I got daydreaming or something, and I missed it. So I'll go see if Round Top's open. I doubt it. I figured they'd close the gates. I went up that road, and it was open. I went up there and went for a nice walk, and checked out the river. Then I went down to Grippen. Boy, that river's up right in, up over the bolt lines there. It's pretty high right now. So, uh, yeah, I was shocked that they hadn't shut the gates on that. Yeah, you know, I almost stopped up there yesterday on my way in, and then I decided... Oh, this was, uh, this was like... I think going for 10 o'clock. Oh, okay. But uh, I, I wound up, instead, I wound up, I, I said yesterday would have been a good time to go up to Round Top in the morning to look at all the fog in the valley. And then I thought, well, I know instead, just to be uh, clever, because I've been to Round Top many times to do video for Twitter, I thought I would uh, go to the Washington Street Bridge and walk from the south side into downtown. And that was also uh, a compelling site because of all the the fog yesterday around the river so by the way yeah, over it's like that, it's like that today yes down, uh, when i went for the walk down the flood wall it was like my house down by Ab lake and it's beautiful i get down a vestal and it's really fine yeah no you don't have to travel far to see the change by the way are they doing anything right now at Grippen park i was there uh, uh, about a week and a half ago and they they hadn't been doing much of anything but 
not really. Probably spring. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to expand on what John called about. I've been meaning to call and talk about that for weeks, but I didn't know if it was a subject. That woman that talks about that deodorant, I don't think I want her phone number if she's putting that deodorant in all those different places. If you get well, it's free. Well, yeah, it's free country. I but... mean, it's like, wow, that's pretty weird to put on TV. Isn't that well, a personal thing? Yeah, it <laughs> I don't used need to be. To hear that while I'm drinking my morning coffee. Well, coffee but you know? it's like we've been, uh, I mean, just between you and me, Round Top Bob, you, you and I and everyone else in this country have been desensitized ever since Bob Dole started uh, selling blue pills. You know, I remember Bob Dole, and I'm thinking, I love the guy, and I love his wife, Elizabeth. I mean, obviously, you know, I, I actually I met Bob Dole, I think, uh, back in the day. But the, the whole thing is, you know, Madison Avenue now has desensitized most Americans, so stuff that in the past, say, as recently as 20 or 25 years ago, you wouldn't really talk about on the radio, unless it was Dr. Ruth or Howard Stern. Right. Yeah, or Grease Boy. Um, but uh, now, you know, about anything goes. About anything goes. Uh, I know. Did, they, oh, you know about that Navaj commercial that you Oh, I love that. that. I love that. I love it because that we must have, just between you and me, and again, this is, this is highly personal, but I still believe we probably have an audience of the cleanest noses on the planet. I'd say grab a tissue. I, I don't need that. You know what I'm saying? I hear you. Is, this world is so strange. I'm 68 years old, and it's like, what happened the last 20 years even? From when I was a kid, I got a friend the same age as me, and we just go, what in the world? And the Would question is, think? seriously, Bob, n not just what in the world, but also what's next? So they, oh, they've ratcheted know. down things so much, but you know they're not done. The bar is still I'll be pushing up daisies. I won't care. <laughs> All right, all right. Well, have a good one. Yeah, take care. I honestly, I it doesn't it doesn't bother me. Nothing really bothers me anymore. Topicality wise, it's. I mean, if the kids are talking about it, I suppose. Marketers can talk about it. <laughs> I suppose they can. And of course they will. See what I did there? <laughs> 957. I admit it. I'm incorrigible. I'm Bob Joseph on WNBF. Are you with you on a Thursday morning? You're listening to News Radio WNBF Binghamton. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Good morning on this Thursday, January 5th. You're listening to WNBF. Some people passing by a closed business in the heart of downtown Binghamton were intrigued when they spotted colorful lights and a disco ball inside the place. The light display inside what had been Dos Rios Cantina at 60 Court Street has prompted questions about what might be going on at the former restaurant site. Dos Rios and a related next-door business, The Colonials, see stopped out the future of the property with unconfirmed reports that a new restaurant may be opened at the site. Yaren Queller, a representative of the 
building owner Court and State LLC said there have been talks with potential tenants. In an email, he wrote, We are currently in negotiations with two tenants for the former Dos Rios space and look forward to sharing details once a deal is finalized. He declined to identify those who have expressed an interest in the site. In Broome County Court, Richard T. Lance Jr., age 39 of Kirkwood, entered a plea of guilty to the felony crime of failure to comply with the New York State Sex Offender Registration Act. He will be sentenced to a year and a half to three years in New York State prison when he's sentenced on March 22nd. During August of 2022, Lance, who had reported to law enforcement that he was residing at an address in the village of Johnson City, was not living there and failed to provide an address to local law enforcement as required under the New York State Corrections Law. Lance was convicted of rape in the third degree in 2008 in Broome County. Broome County District Attorney Michael Korchak stated the New York State Sex Offender Registration Act implemented reporting guidelines for a reason, the protection of the public. Compliance is not optional. The Broome County Sheriff's Office and the District Attorney's Office will continue to work together, tracking down offenders and vigorously prosecuting them. On January 4th, New York State Police in Herkimer, along with the Mohawk Police Department, responded to a reported stabbing incident outside the residence at 30 East Main Street in the village of Mohawk, Herkimer County. When officers from the Mohawk Police Department and troopers arrived on scene, they discovered 26-year-old Takia LaPlante outside the residence with multiple stab wounds in the chest area. She was immediately transported by Movac Ambulance to St. Elizabeth's Hospital in Utica, where she is listed in critical condition. Troopers located 21-year-old Taylor E. Goodhines near the scene and placed her in custody without incident. Goodhines, who resides at 70 East Main Street, was subsequently arrested and charged with attempted murder in the second degree, assault in the first degree, and criminal possession of a weapon in the fourth degree. Goodhines was processed and transported to the Herkimer County Jail on $150,000 cash bail, $300,000 bond. On January 4th, state police arrested Todd A. Estes, age 44, from Blossville, New York, for rape in the first degree, a Class B felony, and unlawful imprisonment in the second degree, a Class A misdemeanor. Estes was arrested following an investigation into a report from the 48-year-old female victim, who was an acquaintance of Estes. The victim stated Estes used duct tape around her head, zip-tied her hands behind her back, and wrapped the rope around her neck down to her feet, and that she was held captive for a few hours as she could not move or call 911. The victim also stated she was forced to have sexual intercourse. Estes was transported to the Oneida County Jail to await centralized arraignment. A new Republican New York State Assemblyman took his seat in the chamber Wednesday despite the threat of being blocked by Democrats who question whether he meets residency requirements. Lester Chang became the first Asian American elected to represent Brooklyn's growing Chinatown in the state assembly on November 8th. But after the election, Democrats in control of the assembly questioned whether Chang lived in Brooklyn for a year prior to election day as required by law. Chang says his current residence is his Brooklyn childhood home. While assembly Democrats have debated behind closed doors whether Chang should be seated, they took no no action on the first day of the new legislative session. The stalemate over the Republican House Speaker vote is more than just an embarrassment for Kevin McCarthy, who is now the first person in a century to muddle through multiple ballots. The revolt is raising alarms within the party. As members warn, they are sabotaging their new narrow majority and alienating voters as they struggle to perform their most basic function, electing their own leader. The episode also poses more profound questions about the party's identity and future. It's a fresh reminder of former President Donald Trump's waning influence inside the GOP as he again seeks the party's presidential nomination. Prosecutors say a man accused of attacking police with a machete near New York's Times Square on New Year's Eve was intent on committing a jihad against government officials and shouted Aluha Akbar before striking one officer in the head and attempting to grab another officer's gun. 
Trevor Bickford, who was shot by police during the confrontation, was arraigned by video from a Manhattan hospital and ordered held without bail. He did not enter a plea. NFL players and coaches are rallying to support DeMar Hamlin a few days after the Buffalo Bills' safety's heart stopped and he needed to be resuscitated during a game at Cincinnati. Colts safety Rodney Thomas made the two-hour drive from Indianapolis to Cincinnati to provide his sedated friend words of encouragement. Vikings defensive tackle and former Bills teammate Harrison Phillips arranged to have dinner delivered to the hospital. Hamlin's marketing representative Jordan Rooney told the associate Associated Press, the player's recovery is moving in a positive direction. The Bills say Hamlin is still in critical condition, but has shown signs of improvement. National Weather Service forecast for downtown Binghamton. Today, partly sunny with a high near 52. Tonight, a slight chance of showers after 3 a.m. Partly cloudy with a low near 35 degrees. Chance of rain 20%. Tomorrow, chance of showers mainly between 7 a.m. and 1 p.m. Cloudy with a high near 42 degrees, 40% chance of rain. Tomorrow night, chance of snow showers after 1 a.m. Mostly cloudy with a low near 30 degrees. Chance of snow 30 Saturday, a chance of snow showers before 10 a.m., then a chance of rain and snow showers. Mostly cloudy with a high near 37, chance of snow 40%. Saturday night, slight chance of snow showers before 1 a.m., mostly cloudy with a low near 25 degrees, chance of rain 20%. And Sunday, mostly sunny with a high near 38. Sunday night, chance of snow showers after 1 a.m., mostly cloudy with a low near 29 degrees, chance of snow 30%. You're listening to WMBF, where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Now live. Binghamton, New York, Bob Joseph and Broome County Executive Jason Garner. On this Thursday morning, January 5th, 2023. And Mr. Garner, welcome back to WNBF. It's good to be back. And Happy New Year to you and to Broome County. What's the state of the county as we enter a brand new year? Uh, the state of the county is uh, pretty good. I like Broome County. I think Broome County is doing pretty well. Um, I will say, you know, we always look forward to, you know, we always have a, you know, the first meeting of the year here. We always talk about, you know, what's going to be the theme of this coming year. And uh, I, I think the theme is uh, executing all the projects that uh, we have funded, making sure that they all happen when we said they were supposed to happen. We, we've just got a ton of we talked about this quite a bit over the last year. Um, we just got a ton of construction projects that are that are happening this year. So actually, I just got out of a meeting with uh, our public works staff and uh, to, to go through like 30 different projects that we're working on and the status of all those projects. So I think that's that's kind of going to be the thing that we're obviously we you know have a lot of things to do here, but uh, that's that's the thing that we're going to. We really want to make sure that we do, uh, and it's, it's it's kind of a challenging environment to do it in. Um, we were talking at the meeting that two years ago this could have been no problem, even though it's a lot of work. But um, you know, the the environment to build things and get supplies and get labor is is certainly not what it used to be. But um, but that's kind of like the goal of this year is to you know we we uh, 
did a lot of great work with the legislature last year to get a lot of uh, good projects funded. And it's uh, now, now it's a matter of executing those projects and, and getting them done. You mentioned reviewing about 30 different projects. Which project do you think is the most important at the moment? The most important project? I'm looking at my list. Okay, really pick, pick out, in, in your view, the top three. I know this is this is challenging, but that's why live radio is great, because it, it gives you the opportunity to think, well, in truth, each one of these projects is very, very important to a particular part of the county or constituency. So no matter how I slice this, if I pick one, three, or five projects, sure. there are going to be pe- some people saying, well, he doesn't really like ours very much. But anyway, uh, just well, for, I, for purposes, sure. pretend it was just you and I talking off the air, and you picked, say, three very important projects, not to minimize the, the two dozen other projects, but, but three that you think are of uh, special interest interest to either well, yourself think, or more, more county residents? I mean, besides our roads and bridges, because obviously those are our, our main infrastructure things, we're doing a record amount of roads, but, you know, we can get those done. I'm not not too concerned about that. We were able to do a record amount last year, but those are important. But I would say probably that, you know, over the next, all the, the, the projects I'm going to talk about, the three or four are, are going to be done either this year or next year. And if you, if you want to do follow up and ask me when, when I think they're going to get done, I, I could probably tell you that, but I, you know, we, we have a $40 million airport renovation project. That's really important. And the state is requiring us to complete this by November of 24. That's a lot of work. When will it start? When will I see people working on that? It's job? already started. Is it? It's already started. Yeah, we've, uh, in terms of, uh, we have, uh, you know, people up there doing, uh, you know, inspections, you know, the pre-inspection work. We've hired the people that are that are going to do the project. Um, yeah, that's already started because the, when we got when we got that award from the state, the state, uh, the one thing that the state told us was that uh, if you want this money, you have to finish it in 24 months. So we're uh, we're uh, already into that. So you know we've we've got good local companies that are that are already you know signed on, ready to ready to go, and are already doing some work up there. Um, the Veteran Resource Center is a project that is on track to be completed by November of twenty four. That's a really important project. Um, well, when I've been by there over on the north side, I haven't seen any activity. It still looks it still looks pretty nope. much like it's been for the last decade. No, so we're so the reason why we're the reason why you haven't seen any activity is we're purposely bidding the project and and doing the project when we think it's going to be the cheapest to do that. So I believe the bids on that project go out in April, and. The hope is to you'll you'll start to see some measurable progress on that site in the fall. So that's really important. Because so what happens is is there's a lot of construction projects that happen in the summer at schools, and it typically happens in the summer at schools because they can only do the construction when the, the kids are out of school. So once that ends, we we try to tie up some of our larger construction projects when when um, there's less going on. Um, because obviously the more work that's going on when you want it to be done when there's a high amount of work, it's going to cost a lot more. So we're trying to be 
we're trying to get these projects done on time, but we also want to be smart with our taxpayer dollars. So I would expect that that's going to go online. Um, you're, you're going to start to see uh, measurable progress on that, uh, like people actually out there doing work in the fall of this year. And, th- and I would say the two other pretty big important projects, I would say, are Grippen Park. Um, that's a, We expect that project to be done by the end of the year, and that is a that's a complete renovation of the building. That's putting uh, an outside hockey, uh, an outside ice, skate, ice skating rink there, a wiffle ball field being put out there. We just got a big grant from the state to finish the the Chugnut Trail and also to put an accessible playground by Griffin Park and also to pave the parking lot at Griffin. We we are expecting that these things will uh, be finished by the end of this year. That's what our hope is. That's kind of a lofty expectation, but we think that's going to happen. So does that uh-huh. mean actual work at the park needs to start this spring? Yes. Yep. Because the uh-huh. last time I was over there, um, I think right before Christmas, and I I won't tell you who I was talking to. I was talking to a couple people who work for the county, and we were talking about the future of the site, and I see, you know, obviously what was what existed there as far as the refrigeration equipment or whatever i guess had been part of the ice rink which actually opened almost exactly 50 years ago it was 50 years ago i guess it was late 1972 that the ice rink opened and there was uh, skating around christmas time but anyway as it uh, transitions i mean this would be sort of the the second chapter of of grippen park at least insofar as that structure what had been built as a, a skating rink and then some of the other amenities including you're still planning a, a wiffle ball park we are we are so it's uh and remember we for a lot of these projects we you know talked about them last year but we literally got got the funding and the budget for 2023 so um you know now we're you know we're actually able to access the funding and then do all the the design work and the bids. Now, some of these things, you know, we've already started the design earlier because we got some money from other sources. For example, example, Don Lopardo was able to get some state money for us to do the design of Grippen Park earlier last year. So a lot of that design is is getting finished, and then we've got to pick, got a couple options to to uh, pick how we want to go with, with, depending on what things cost at the park, and then we can go and, and – um, you know, renovate the building and put in the other amenities too. Um, we're, you know, we're not building a new building; we're renovating it. And the, the my understanding is the uh, the type of rink that we're going to buy is already it's like a pre uh, manufactured rink that we would we would bring in. So um, same thing with the the, the playground equipment. Um, so those things can be done pretty quick. And that that's something that um, it's a it's a really aggressive goal, but we would really like to get this done before the end of the year. And then I would say the last major project would be Bagsai. So we're we're completely renovating. We have this uh, it, kind of a lot of people don't know about it, but we have this uh, pretty large softball complex that really hasn't received a lot of attention in a long time. It's right next to BCC. And we're installing um, brand new turf fields. They've never had turf before there, and we're putting lighting there. And we're actually going to 
take over the uh, running of that project. And we, we expect that that is going to be a destination for a lot of major softball tournaments um, for teams uh, coming all across the, the country and different states uh, to come come there and play, which would obviously be great for our hotels and you know things like that, and also for people locally to to play there as well. So that's a we expect that to be finished. We expect the the turf and the lights and everything to be finished by the fall of this year. So um, we might be able to actually. Uh, play some games there before the before the end of the year. But we're already doing doing work there. We're already starting to do demo and taking out fences and, and things like that. Um getting ready for the, the turf install and, and the, the lighting install. Speaking with Broome County Executive Jason Garner, so we covered uh, quite a few things as you mentioned right at the outset though. There are dozens of other projects that the county will be working on over the next several months, and we might touch on a few of those as we continue this hour. In terms of state of the account, a state of the county, you gave a, a snapshot, I would say, right as we be- began our conversation. You'll have more to say about the state of the county, I believe, next month in a formal yep. state of the county message. Is a date yep, set for that? Yeah, typically in mid-February, that's when I give it. So uh, we, we don't have a date you know, a, a date and location set for that. But, um, yeah, I, I, I'll be delivering a state of the county address in about uh, five or six weeks. You don't have a location? Well, it'll be in Broome County. We know that. Well, will it be at the uh, Oakdale Commons? <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I, uh, we, because we, you uh, usually seem to try to put it at, at a place that, We'll say sometimes it's been in the headlines. I know in the past you, I think, didn't right. you do one animal adventure and out in Harpers Hill, yep. didn't you do that? Yeah, we try to focus. Like one of the things I've tried to do with the budget address and with the state of the county addresses, whenever possible, we couldn't do it during COVID. But we uh, we, we try to get out where, where things are happening. So, you know, we've done addresses at 59 Lester. I think I did my budget address at, at the Victory Building. And um, I think we've done one at Emma Street, and we've done one, um, I think you're right, I think we did one at Animal Adventure, and just kind of like, like places, uh, we did that when the, the April giraffe uh, thing was happening that the world, I guess, was all tuning in for. But um, yeah, it, it, we will most likely do something very similar in, in the, you know, kind of highlighting, um, going out and, and delivering a state of the county where... Um, you know, where we kind of want to highlight something that, that's happening. That's a really nice thing. So certainly the, the Oakdale Commons would be a great place to highlight, but there's certainly other places that we might take a look at as well. You could do it from, uh, you could be in the uh, operating seat of the crane, and then they could gather people around where the Dick's Sporting Goods store or the, whatever, the House of Sport. There, I said it. You, you know it. Um, the problem is I hate heights. That's, that's, <laughs> the only, that's the only problem with that. But, but that no, would be a special effect. They, they would blindfold you so you wouldn't be aware of the height. And then the crane operator from Gorick, whoever, maybe it's Rogers, whoever has the, the uh, crane, they can lower you down. It sort of be like a, a late-night TV show, and people would say, gee, that's not designed just for TV. That's designed to impress county residents. 
Yeah, I don't know if my risk and insurance people would like well, that Well, that's the much, problem. But, uh, the insurance people the and probably the attorneys would all say, you know, on paper this yeah. all sounds fine, but, you know, what in the you know one in a billion chance that something goes wrong and then the county is bankrupted because of what the media would call just an, an unsavory stunt, that would, that would not be good. Well, it would definitely be a great place to do it because um – I, I was actually just talking to Mark Newman last week, and I, I couldn't. I was driving by the mall, and I couldn't believe how fast the those buildings are coming. Like, you know, certainly the the, the crane is doing all the work at the former Macy's building, but um, in particular the the, the restaurant. The restaurants. The, I mean, it looks like they could open up those two uh, restaurants on the the, the new pads uh, just across the street from Wegmans. If, if they kept up at that pace, those restaurants could be open in a couple of months at this rate. Yep. I would also expect a, a pretty major announcement about another <laughs> another business that's coming into the mall soon. Um, oh. As well in the Oakdale Commons over the next month so, or two. And I am so excited about that. Yeah. Of course, I'm sworn to secrecy. So, you know, therein lies <laughs> the rub. You know, you've got all this so stuff, I. but I, yeah, exactly. It's like I, I want to talk. You want to talk. Even the developer wants to talk, and yet, due to circumstances beyond our control, we really can't. It would be wrong. I would expect that by the end of this year, everything that's coming in that that the whole the whole commons the whole building will be certainly filled up in the next year or two but i would say that i I would expect that by the end of this year everything that's coming in there will be announced but i'm pretty sure over the next month or two we're going to hear of another big announcement um of a major tenant that's coming in so it's, it's exciting stuff stay tuned and i'm sure well, I, I can't promise WNBF will cover it, but I will strive to cover some aspects of it. All I say, every night when I go to sleep, I have dreams of two things, cheap gas and delicious chicken sandwiches. That's all I ever dream about anymore. That's, but I, other than that, I can't, can't really go into further detail without well, spoiling I think this the fun. Is, I think, you know, 2023 is the year of... Uh the year that Bob Joseph's dreams will come true. <laughs> I would love, you know, if we're up to me, I'd open up Bob Joseph's Wholesale Club there and, and give away gas. And Ann's, with every eight-gallon fill-up of gas. Get a at, chicken sandwich? Yes. <laughs> I would sell gas for $1.29 a gallon. You get it? $1.29, tied in with WNBF. And oh, with wow. every eight-gallon purchase, you get a delicious chicken sandwich, even on Sundays, I might add. So that it, that would get the world's a, attention. It, it's a it's definitely a dream that I think will come true for you and for many for many other people. But it's a, it's a really good uh, development. And um, man, Johnson City's pre- it's pretty amazing to see all the work that, that's going on there. The Victory Building's just about complete, and the uh, the work that they're doing at UHS over there, where that other big crane is uh, is really moving along as well. I mean, just just a ton of stuff happening over there it's good stuff for johnson city well it used to be called leicestershire i think they should rename the the village boomtown a lot of stuff's happening yeah. there i mean they're really they're they're really happy about it i'm really i'm i'm really happy for them it's good stuff and even stuff and and uh, excuse me for speaking out of turn but even stuff associated with binghamton university as they continue some of the construction on the health sciences campus, the research and development building is nearing completion. Yeah. The new clinic on Jensen Avenue, 
is that's right. Um, they're building a new clinic there. Yeah, they're moving furniture and stuff in. That that should open, I would say, within about four months. So I, I think a lot will continue to occur throughout the village of Johnson City. We'll continue our conversation with Broome County Executive Jason Garner in just a moment. Bob Joseph live on News Radio WNBF ninety two one FM twelve ninety AM and streaming at WNBF.com. When I Bob Joseph, 10.32 on a Thursday morning, WNBF. I'm the guy who seems to always have a few questions. Answering a few questions this morning is Broome County Executive Jason Garner. We talked uh, a couple of uh, times there were references to 59 Lester Avenue, the future Victory Lofts building, uh, Matthew Paulus development, uh, what is the latest you've been hearing? I know it's been a while since you actually uh, have had direct contact with Mr. Paulus, but uh, I understand that the original plan to have occupancy um, starting in early January, obviously that's been pushed back. Right. I think I think what we're looking at is more February or March for people to come in the building. And I, and I know the, the last time I talked to him, he was, and, and this the problem's been uh, taken care of. But what uh, they were running up against is they had to have two new transformers put in by NYSEG. And again, this this speaks to the issues that everybody's having across the country with supply chain. Um, they they NYSEG was having a, having trouble getting these these transformers to get on site. And of course, obviously, if you're if you got a 165 unit uh, housing development. You need to have power running to all those units. So I, I think I think that was a that was a pretty major issue that uh, that that he was he was talking about the last time that we had kind of an in depth conversation about that. But I, I would expect that over the next six or seven weeks, I think that we'll we'll see people moving in there, and I think they've. Uh, I think those uh, apartments are in demand. It's a beautiful, it's an absolutely beautiful building. Um, I know you've been inside of it, but it's beautiful inside and out. Um, but yeah, I would say in the next, you know, next month or two, I think they'll open up their doors and be open for business. Short distance from there, just outside the village of Johnson City, the demolition project at the old IBM Country Club complex has been underway now for a couple of months. And uh, not much remains of what had been the country club. The, the buildings essentially are gone. The swimming pools are gone. And I'm told by the uh, project superintendent that um, they'll be taking out the walkway over Watson Boulevard on January 18th. That's the target. And they expect to have the, the demolition work at that site wrapped up by the end of January. And that would clear the way for groundbreaking for the 75-unit apartment complex there. Right. I I can't believe how fast that demolition went. I, I, I just really can't. Um, you know, how they got the building down so quickly, I, I can't imagine it was easy to get the pools out either. But, um, you know, I, I think Gorick um, was uh, the, the – they were the, the company doing a lot of the demolition on the site. They just did a 
they did an absolutely great job. I couldn't believe every time I drive by there, there'd be something else else gone there. And um, yeah, uh, you know, uh, Conifer is a housing company, and they want to put a 75 unit uh, housing complex um, uh, in place of it, which I, I think is a really really good place to to have that, and it's going to complement the the rest of the area pretty well. So excited about that. Where do things stand with the uh, initiative to eventually develop an industrial park in the town of Maine and, and part of the town of Union? We've talked about this a few times in, in recent months with the IDA recently acquiring an option to purchase some properties along Airport Road and East Main Road. Where do things stand as, as far as trying to get that land ultimately ready for potential development? Yeah, I don't think a lot, a lot has changed since we last talked in December. The the IDA is still doing their due diligence on the property. So what they what they did take was an option on the property, and right now they've they're they're doing environmental assessments and and things like that. I would expect that those will be done fairly soon, probably within the next month or so, and they'll review those assessments to make sure that the property is in good shape for it to be you know, redeveloped and and then, you know, sometime after that they would make the decision to purchase the property and then after that they go into all the site development that they have to put into it. And I know that they're already applying there's some pretty large grants that have been made available by New York State to develop uh these these types of properties and I know that they're they're working on getting grants from the state to to do that. But I don't think much has changed in terms of uh you know what's going on there. But um I, I do expect that their due diligence will finish up pretty soon. A big uh initiative that could be acted on in the not too distant future would involve the proposed merger of SUNY Broome and Binghamton University. Where do things stand on that proposal? Well, I think that it's it's been a discussion that you know we we've certainly had with SUNY Broome officials and Binghamton University officials, and you know, look, there, I think there, it's it's going to be a long process to do to uh, if the the two entities are are actually to merge. But I think that there's a lot of synergies between both of these entities. I mean, already they have a BCC has a program called the Advantage Program where. If you don't get into Binghamton University, you can go to BCC for a semester or two or three or four and then um, have a better chance of being able to transfer into Binghamton University. But um, I, I just, you know, Binghamton University is, is uh, I think they really look at, you know, SUNY Broome as being able to complement what they do. Um, you know, one of our first questions when we were talking to officials was, is, is SUNY Broome still going to be an open campus? Meaning, you know, are, are you, is it going to be competitive to be accepted into SUNY Broome? And they said, no, it's going to, you know, the, the whole idea is it's going to remain the same. But, you know, there are certainly a lot of synergies between both campuses. And I think having a greater relationship between a state university and a you know, a community college that's in the same community is only better for that community. And I actually think that, um, you know, there's a lot to be sorted out. There's a lot of, uh, my understanding is that the initial reception um, by the state was good. 
Um, there's there's going to be, have to be some approvals and things like that. It's going to be a. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take over a period of years, I'm sure. But um, you know, and there's negotiations with unions and things like that to be done with. But um, I, I think that it could only pay dividends for this community to have both of those campuses working more closely together. So I think you know, we'll, we'll I think we'll have a better sense of what's happening once the budget is sorted out at the state level, I, I get the sense that um, that will kind of guide the process and the timeline for, you know, whatever's going to be happening there for the next year or two to happen. We'll continue our conversation with Broome County Executive Jason Garner on this Thursday morning. I'm Bob Joseph. This is News Radio WNBF and WNBF.com. I never write... WNBF at 1043. Bob Joseph live on your Thursday morning. And we're speaking with the Broome County Executive, Jason Garner. One thing that hasn't received much attention in recent months, but I know it is um, of concern for the the county administration and and some employees, is uh, a staffing situation at the Department of Social Services. I understand that there are a lot of positions that currently are unfilled, and that certainly creates a challenging situation. What is going on there? I've been told by some current and former DSS employees that it's a staffing crisis, and it ultimately is... uh, having a significant impact not only on the employees but also on the people that uh, need to be served well i think you know this is certainly the the big challenge that we've had um even before covid i would say we were starting to see issues with hiring new people and you know filling filling positions and it's not just at dss i mean it's really across the board um you know, whether it's correction officers, I, you know, I think that Sheriff Akshar has, you know, certainly talked about the need to be able to, to hire more corrections officers. I think he has something like 40 vacancies there. And, um, you know, we've uh, been meeting with him about how can we, uh, no pun intended, correct that situation. But, um, you know, whether it's uh, at, uh, you know, DSS or, you know, a number of other departments, I mean, this is something that, um, businesses across the country are are trying to deal with the, the staffing crisis but yeah um, pertaining to our department of social services we have some serious problems over there and last year and even before that we've attempted to address it a couple different ways one is um the, the largest union that we have by far is CSEA and one of the things that our administration has done with the legislature is the last contract that they had with us um, compared to the other contracts that they got in the previous administration was much better in terms of getting salary increases and, you know, every year their their pay going up. But what we've also had to specifically do in addition to that is literally upgrade the positions. And so last year we did hundreds of upgrades and it wasn't, it wasn't just in the department of social services. We did upgrades 
at dispatch, and we've done upgrades at probation, we've upgraded management salaries, and really across the board, we've done a number of, of upgrades. And our hope is it'll, it'll work. And I was actually just talking to our Department of Social Services Commissioner, and she said that she's actually been able to hire some more people at DSS more than she's been able to hire in the in the past year. She's seeing an uptick in hiring, although we're still nowhere near uh, the woods in that. And, um, you know, talking to Pat Dewing, our emergency services director, we did a large upgrade for um, our emergency services dispatchers. You can, um, you have to get trained to do it. You have to go through a little academy, but um, with just a high school degree, if you get the training that's, that we provide for you, you can start off making $42,000 a year um, being a dispatcher. We, we really upgrade those positions, and he has seen a big uh, uptick in the number of applications and people he's been able to retain. Um, we did a number of upgrades, and specifically to the Department of Social Services this year in this budget. And well, I understand that there were a lot, hundreds of upgraded positions, but in fact, a lot of people, even if their positions were upgraded, they didn't actually get any raises as a result of the change. Well, they do get raises, so they get raises every year. Every year in their contract as CSEA, they get a raise, and they also get what we call longevity longevity increases and um, some other some step what we call step increases as well. So those all happen automatically. Um, but it's not to diminish the fact that you know we need to to do more there. But in addition to those things, we also upgrade a lot of the positions. Unfortunately, the way civil service works, and this is you know the way that the state civil service works, is that you know once you've reached the end of your, if you've been working, you know the the, the upgrades typically favor people who have been working there short term and medium term, as opposed to the long term employees who have already worked through all their grades and all their steps. So what we're looking at this year is how can we address you know, things that we, we weren't able to address last year. And, you know, to to be, be very frank, we're, we also recognize that while we have, you know, and we have been making a lot of upgrades to our employees, we also have to be careful with making sure that Broome County government is affordable to taxpayers. You know, with inflation, the last thing we want to do is raise taxes 5, 10, 15, 20%. So, you know, we're we're trying to make upgrades in our workforce, and at the same time, you know, we're 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 you know trying to keep taxes the same or cut them a little bit because we recognize that people in the community are really struggling. The last thing they want to do is to get a big big tax increase, and doing both of those things at the same time is is difficult. That's why we can't do it all at once. Well, what steps can be taken? What steps could be taken right now to improve retention? Because I understand a lot of people who've been with social services have wound up leaving, perhaps retiring earlier than they really had expected to. Some people have said that uh, morale is really low throughout much of the department, and some have said their spirit has been crushed because of the conditions. What can be done to to improve retention and and improve morale right now? Well, I think exactly what we've been doing. Um, Again, we did a huge upgrade of DSS employees last year. We gave all of our employees the first time, I think, in 
maybe 25, 30 years, um, certainly never when I was a legislator or county executive did we um, we, we gave a, we gave a a thousand dollar bonus to all of our full time employees this year, um, and we're going to look to uh, to doing up. You know, we're going to look at the whole uh, pay scale next year. Um, but again, you know, all these types of things require a tremendous amount of resources and. You know, I'm caught between, yes, I, I want to do everything I can to retain my employees and, and to pay them fairly. I'm also looking at, you know, a finite amount of resources that I have to do it. So, um, and it's not it's not anything that we're not seeing in any other part of the country. Every single business, every single government is struggling um, with this. There's just a lot fewer people in the workforce. Um, but, you know, we're, we're uh, you know, this this week, um, my administration has been getting right back into the, the pay scale, and you know, that takes a long time to to go through the whole pay scale, the whole entire county. Um, you know, one of the issues that we have, and again, you know, I don't want to get into the weeds too much on this, but I think it's important is that if I want to, and this is the way state law is, if I want to upgrade a uh, keyboard specialist position at DSS, I have to upgrade every single keyboardist specialist position in the county in every other single department and you know so so it's not it's it's not as simple as just trying to target one department or another department um you know there there's effects of these things that go and uh when when you like if if we want to say okay there's 20 positions in DSS we want to upgrade by law we have to upgrade maybe 60 or 70 other similar positions across the county. And, and those are the things that are, you know, that's that's why it's challenging. You can't just target um, one department. But, um, you know, our, we did a historic amount of upgrades, not just salary increases, but upgrades on top of the salary increases, on top of longevity increases, on top of the step increases. We'll continue to do more this year as well, because it's, it's, it's really important. And, and I totally, uh, I totally get the frustration that in, employees have we're we're trying to do the best that we can in investing in our employees and we've done a lot well can um, you reopen negotiations even though the contract doesn't expire for a while we have a certain uh, we can certainly reopen negotiations but it you know if the negotiations are just to raise salaries again i i have a certain amount of money that i have to work with in the county i mean i have you know couple thousand employees so you know if you raised uh, let's just say everybody's i'm just throwing out a number if we raised everybody's uh salary increase from three to six percent i mean that's going to cost millions and millions of dollars that we don't have budgeted so that that that's why we do you know contracts they're um you know multi-year contracts um and uh but but we'll definitely be looking at um, perhaps doing another uh, employee bonus this year and um, looking at upgrading other positions as well. We're, we're trying to do the best we can with the limited resources that we have. And we have just a limited amount of time left. Speaking of millions of dollars, I understand the county is spending a tremendous amount of money to provide uh, temporary housing for people and, and at various locations around the county, hotels and motels. How much is the county expected to spend this year 
uh, to, to help accommodate people who need emergency housing? Well, I don't have that number right in front of me, but it, it's probably well over a million dollars a year that we're spending, and it might be even closer to a million and a half. Again, don't have the, the exact numbers right in front of me, but um, we're definitely uh, dealing with, uh, and again, something something that a lot of communities are dealing with across the country is that uh, people are finding, you know, they're, they're not able to find housing. I think I think landlords have been less reluctant to rent out places after they went through a two-year eviction moratorium where, where they didn't get their, their rents paid to them. So I think they're much more selective. That's causing an issue with homelessness. So what happens is, is that when people can't get permanent housing, they go to shelters. All the shelters in the area are full. And when all the shelters are full, then the county has to contract with local hotels to put people in hotels until they can find permanent housing. So the answer to this, and you're going to hear state officials talk about this a lot more, is we need more permanent housing. We've got a lot of permanent housing projects that are coming online. Unfortunately, they're not going to come for another uh, probably year or two. We've got a lot in the pipeline. That but are a lot of the projects that, that we're talking about are, are not likely to help the lowest-income people, are they? No, they will. No, we've, we've got a number of affordable housing projects that will help the, the exact people that we're talking about. Um, but, but that doesn't help people right now, for sure. So that's, that's what we're, we're struggling with, and we're, uh, you know, we're working to make sure that we can you know, put people and, and, and get them under a roof in a, in a warm place to stay and fed. I mean, that's, that's, that's the goal, and it's, it's been incredibly difficult to do that. That's been a really... Do you regard it as a crisis? I mean, because now more than ever, we see people living under bridges and other places in, in the middle of winter. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. To be continued. Complicated issues, but um, appreciate your joining us to talk about some of these things, and we will continue to focus on issues facing Broome County as we uh, start 2023. I look forward to keeping in touch with you. I wouldn't be surprised. We'll hear uh, a few other things throughout this month. Broome County Executive Jason Garner, thank you very much for being with us on this Thursday morning. Thanks a lot, Bob. Take care. You as well. Coming up, the news and then more of your calls here on WNBF Binghamton. You're invited. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Good morning on this Thursday, January 5th. You're listening to WNBF. Some people passing by a closed business in the heart of downtown Binghamton were intrigued when they spotted colorful lights and a disco ball inside the place. The light display inside what had been Dos Rios Cantina at 60 Court Street has prompted questions about what might be going on at the former restaurant site. Dos Rios and a related next-door business, The Colonial, ceased operations last April. A large exterior Dos Rios sign was removed from the building in August, and the site was listed for lease. In recent weeks, there's been growing speculation about the future of the property, with unconfirmed reports that a new restaurant may be opened at the site. Yaron Queller, a representative of the building owner Court and State LLC, said there have been talks with potential tenants. In an email, he wrote, We are currently in negotiations with two tenants for the former Dos Rios space and look forward to sharing details once a deal is finalized. He declined to identify those who have expressed an interest in the site. In Broome County Court, Richard T. Lance Jr., age 39 of Kirkwood, entered 
entered a plea of guilty to the felony crime of failure to comply with the New York State Sex Offender Registration Act. He will be sentenced to a year and a half to three years in New York State prison when he's sentenced on March 22nd. During August of 2022, Lance, who had reported to law enforcement that he was residing at an address in the village of Johnson City, was not living there and failed to provide an address to local law enforcement as required under the New York State Corrections Law. Lance was convicted of rape in the third degree in 2008 in Broome County. Broome County District Attorney Michael Korchak stated the New York State Sex Offender Registration Act implemented reporting guidelines for a reason, the protection of the public. Compliance is not optional. The Broome County Sheriff's Office and the District Attorney's Office will continue to work together, tracking down offenders and vigorously prosecuting them. On January 4th, New York State Police in Herkimer, along with the Mohawk Police Department, responded to a reported stabbing incident outside the residence at 30 East Main Street in the village of Mohawk, Herkimer County. When officers from the Mohawk Police Department and troopers arrived on scene, they discovered 26-year-old Takia LaPlante outside the residence with multiple stab wounds in the chest area. She was immediately transported by Movac Ambulance to St. Elizabeth's Hospital in Utica, where she is listed in critical condition. Troopers located 21-year-old Taylor E. Goodhines near the scene and placed her in custody without incident. Goodhines, who resides at 70 East Main Street, was subsequently arrested and charged with attempted murder in the second degree, assault in the first degree, and criminal possession of a weapon in the fourth degree. Goodhines was processed and transported to the Herkimer County Jail on $150,000 cash bail, $300,000 bond. On January 4th, state police arrested Todd A. Estes, age 44, from Blossville, New York, for rape in the first degree, a Class B felony, and unlawful imprisonment in the second degree, a Class A misdemeanor. Estes was arrested following an investigation into a report from the 48-year-old female victim, who was an acquaintance of Estes. The victim stated Estes used duct tape around her head, zip-tied her hands behind her back, and wrapped the rope around her neck down to her feet, and that she was held captive for a few hours as she could not move or call 911. The victim also stated she was forced to have sexual intercourse. Estes was transported to the Oneida County Jail to await centralized arraignment. A new Republican New York State Assemblyman took his seat in the chamber Wednesday despite the threat of being blocked by Democrats who question whether he meets residency requirements. Lester Chang became the first Asian American elected to represent Brooklyn's growing Chinatown in the state assembly on November 8th. But after the election, Democrats in control of the assembly questioned whether Chang lived in Brooklyn for a year prior to election day as required by law. Chang says his current residence is his Brooklyn childhood home. While assembly Democrats have debated behind closed doors whether Chang should be seated, they took no action on the first day of the new legislative session. The stalemate over the Republican House Speaker vote is more than just an embarrassment for Kevin McCarthy, who is now the first person in a century to muddle through multiple ballots. The revolt is raising alarms within the party. As members warn, they are sabotaging their new narrow majority and alienating voters as they struggle to perform their most basic function, electing their own leader. The episode also poses more profound questions about the party's identity and future. It's a fresh reminder of former President Donald Trump's waning influence inside the GOP as he again seeks the party's presidential nomination. Prosecutors say a man accused of attacking police with a machete near New York's Times Square on New Year's Eve was intent on committing a jihad against government officials and shouted Aluha Akbar before striking one officer in the head and attempting to grab another officer's gun. Trevor Bickford, who was shot by police during the confrontation, was arraigned by video from a Manhattan hospital and ordered held without bail. He did not enter a plea. NFL players and coaches are rallying to support DeMar Hamlin a few days after the Buffalo Bills' safety's heart stopped and he needed to be resuscitated during a game at Cincinnati. Colts safety Rodney Thomas made the two-hour drive from Indianapolis to Cincinnati to provide his sedated friend words of encouragement. Vikings defensive tackle and former Bills teammate Harrison Phillips arranged to have dinner delivered.
delivered to the hospital. Hamlin's marketing representative, Jordan Rooney, told the Associated Press the player's recovery is moving in a positive direction. The Bills say Hamlin is still in critical condition, but has shown signs of improvement. National Weather Service forecast for downtown Binghamton. Today, partly sunny with a high near 52. Tonight, a slight chance of showers after 3 a.m. Partly cloudy with a low near 35 degrees. Chance of rain 20%. Tomorrow, chance of showers mainly between 7 a.m. and 1 p.m. Cloudy with a high near 42 degrees. 40% chance of rain. Tomorrow night, chance of snow showers after 1 a.m. Mostly cloudy with a low near 30 degrees. Chance of snow 30%. Saturday, a chance of snow showers before 10 a.m. Then a chance of rain and snow showers. Mostly cloudy with a high near 37. Chance of snow 40%. Saturday night, slight chance of snow showers before 1 a.m. Mostly cloudy with a low near 25 degrees. Chance of rain 20%. And Sunday, mostly sunny with a high near 38. Sunday night, chance of snow showers after 1 a.m. Mostly cloudy with a low near 29 degrees. Chance of snow 30%. You're listening to WMBF for News Breaks First. News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. Bob Joseph on a Thursday morning at News Radio WNBF. Trees swaying in the summer breeze, showing off their silver leaves as we walked by. Soft kisses on a summer's day, laughing all our cares away. Just you. Yes, a winter song at 11.11 and 11 seconds. 607-772-1290 is the number. You can also email the program, bob at wnbf.com. And if you have a thought, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure you may want to uh, speak, speak. About uh, the vaccination uh, questions that came up earlier on the program, Alan writes, All vaccines and medicines have side effects. Millions of people died from COVID. Millions did not die from the vaccine. Alan in Binghamton. So for those of you who in some ways were concerned about the Internet rumors, yeah, you have to take everything with about two tons of salt on the internet I think on the internet everyone is a doctor or plays one (laughs) hi I'm Marcus Welby MD why don't you drink this coffee because I said so because I play a doctor on the internet oh Alan also wrote in a separate email he said there was a 16% increase in cardiac myopathy for people who had COVID so people who had the vaccine reduced the risk of getting COVID he said that's according to the CDC that's the Centers for Disease Control (laughs) not someone who is purporting to know stuff hi I'm on TV I wear a bow tie sometimes. <laughs> I know stuff. Yeah, of course you do. Of course you know stuff. We <laughs> I always say consider the source. You know? On the other hand, it is a free country, so if somebody wants to say it's their opinion, that is their opinion. 
but the danger of taking someone's opinion too seriously is it could maybe have negative consequences on your health or maybe on the health of your family members. Let's go to the phones and take some calls on this Thursday. Hi, WNBF, you're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? This is Sandy from Port Dickinson. Good morning. Good morning, Bob, and Happy New Year. Um, I was just calling uh, about following up on Jason Garner being on, um, and my thoughts, first of all, for the young man that has had the uh, cardiac arrest, uh, I think my prayers are with him and his family, and I'm sure all his doctors, he's got the very best of doctors, and they have checked his background for any kind of uh, medical history. So, I, I, you know, eventually it'll, whatever will come out, but I, I just, I'm so glad to hear he's getting better. Anyway, um, I, following up on Jason, uh, I just want to think, to say that with our newspaper uh, demise, which I, it, it makes me very unhappy. I love the newspaper. I always have. And um, it's going to be one less source of information that we can get in this area. And uh, so that leaves your program and the television news local where we can get information. And I think that for this year, starting this year, starting now, I'm so glad that Jason... that uh, he came on your program uh, to talk about the county. We also need now, we need more of our elected officials, and that includes Leah Webb and Donna Lopardo from from, uh, Albany that we elected, Uh, Jared Cram, the J.C. mayor, which I know he comes on on occasion, uh, and Endicott, uh, I can't think of her name, I'm sorry. Linda uh, Jackson. Linda, yes. She's very willing to come on to uh, talk about Endicott. I also want to hear somebody from the Joint Sewage Treatment Plant. And if uh, if our elected mayors from J.C. and Binghamton cannot talk about this plant, we need to be updated on that. There's just millions and millions of our tax money that are is going into that plant, and we need to be updated on it on occasion. So I want somebody to talk about that. What about people from school districts? Yes, absolutely, and people on our city and county councils. Now you're talking they, about county legislators and city council legisl- people. Yes, yes. They, I know they have regular jobs. I know it's not, it's not a full-time job to be in a council. But some of these people, they're elected uh, by the citizens here. And uh, certainly they can spend five minutes a month on your program calling in or coming in in person now uh, to let us know what's going on. If this is the time for these people to... Uh, fulfill their promise to the taxpayers, and and I'm I'm certainly one of them that wants this to happen, and and especially if 
our news is going to get more limited and more limited. And I, I, I agree I, with you, and I, I want to, as, as we start this new year, I want to issue a blanket invitation. This is an official invitation from WNBF that if you are an elected official, a mayor, a town supervisor, a county legislator, a city council person, state lawmaker, whether a member of the Assembly or the State Senate, a member of Congress, whether you're in the House or in the U.S. Senate, from New York or Pennsylvania, all are welcome. And every school superintendent in Broome and Tauga counties also are welcome. You're all officially invited as of right now. So now I know not all of them, in fact, probably most of them aren't listening right now, but I know that people who work for them or with them are listening, and they can convey that information. So if you work for a mayor, um, a town supervisor, um, a town council member, I, it, it gets dangerous inviting every town council member in Broome and Tioga County on, because that, that could be too many people, but but basically members of city council, there are only seven members of Binghamton City Council, uh, mm-hmm. again, the state lawmakers and our uh, national representatives, if you work with them or for them or know them, or a member of their family or in their inner circle, just mention that Bob Joseph politely requested their attendance here at the program, either by phone or in the studio, if possible, and they know how to get in touch with me. It's bob at wnbf.com. School superintendents. Every school superintendent in Broome and Tioga County should come on the program in the next three months. If they, Some have been on the program before. Some have never been on. Uh, I am rolling out the red carpet. I promise to be very polite, very professional, and ask relevant questions for uh, whatever whoever they represent because I think that's I think it's a community service. I'm not doing it for me. By the way, I can per, I can run this show just as well. In fact, to be honest with you, sometimes it's easier without having guests. But I, I am willing, and I also know I, I made a, a deliberate effort um, last year after we returned to this time slot into the three-hour format to reduce the number of regular guests because I know typically we, we had been having guests at 9.30 and 10.30 in the past, but I know some people found that disruptive in terms of um, callers and, and we didn't have enough time in the view of some people to uh, hear from the people. So I made a, a, a definite effort to... Uh, allow more time for callers, but that doesn't mean I don't want to allow elected officials and school district officials to come on to talk about their jobs. I mean, these are important jobs, and they are, in many cases, not all cases, but in many cases, well compensated, and I... I admire them for doing the work they do. Even if I I admit, sometimes I'll ask a tough question. A lot of times people will be mad because I don't ask enough tough questions. But, I mean, it's, there's no way to please everyone, but I'll strive to get information because that's ultimately what we need now more than ever. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. And I know before last year you uh, repeatedly have asked people to come on or extended 
your program to people to come on it uh, that have been elected, uh, and uh, very few of them have taken up taken you up on it. And it, it's time for this to change. It's more than time because things have gotten expensive for the taxpayers. Uh, and like I said, if the newspaper is heading south, whatever, um, we desperately need the, to know what's going on in our local government and in our state government uh, by people we have elected. Sandy, thanks for your call. Okay. 1122 News Radio, WNBF. Good morning. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Selena from Binghamton. Hi, Selena. Hi, I totally agree with the last caller. Um, we do need updated on that Binghamton Johnson City sewage treatment plant. Yeah, that's that's a big issue. And we've talked about it on occasion, but we haven't discussed it frequently enough. Yeah, the, the stench up in I was going up uh, Old Vessel Road, and the stench is incredible. Yeah, that's a shame. That should we're we're a first world, first rate power, and we have spent enough money over the years. Who knows how many billions of dollars have been spent? I don't know if it's billions. Anyway, millions. <laughs> hun- cer- well, billion. certainly hundreds of millions. They spent approaching three hundred million dollars for the last upgrade, the renovations, and repairs. So, since its inception, I suspect it's cost. At least close to a billion dollars. It's important. Yeah, probably one, and, probably one point one billion. Yeah. Well, it's it's important. We we rely on it, and I think the um, the people, the ratepayers, and also the um, not just residential but even commercial customers deserve to know what's going on with the plant. And I do think we need regular updates. Maybe not once a month, but maybe every few months. Give us yeah, a, a progress report. Well, how many how many more toilets are going to be plugged into the thing? Yeah. I mean, all, all these housing developments and the sewage has got to go somewhere. Yeah, well, you know, the the problem right from its inception, the, the place was not designed for the capacity that it's expected to handle. I mean, they've upgraded it, but still, the I think ultimately the problem is it's insufficient to handle the amount of stuff we're dumping into it. Yeah, tell me about that. <laughs> uh, Bob, I consider you my friend and my family. Thank you very much for taking my call. You're welcome. 1124. This is Bob Joseph on WNBF. Yes, I'm actually one person, one person on the planet who this morning will answer your call. 607-772-1290. WNBF, good morning. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Good morning, Bob. DJ from Binghamton. How you doing? Good. Well, I want to ask you a question. What is your love language? My daughter was asked that, and she didn't know how to answer it, although she was raised uh, by me who, well, so let me let me say this. His name's Gary Chapman, and he wrote a book. It came out in 1990, but it didn't catch fire until like now, 30, 32 years later. And, um, well, in, in my world anyway. So... It's for people, it's for, um, not just love relationships, not just intimacy, but any kind of relationship. And the five love languages, to go kind of quickly, because I don't know how much time we have, words of affirmation, 
number one. Number two is acts of service. Number three is gifts. My sister Patty used to love to visit people in the hospital who she didn't even really know. Like, my friend's mother's in the What are you doing with those flowers, Patty? Oh, I'm taking them to... The fourth one is quality time. You know, today it's Netflix and chill, but to some people that might not be quality time. And the love language number five, and you can, as you call it, uh, punch in the five love languages by Gary Chapman. Number five is physical touch. That's my love language uh, through what's called in our church, the laying out of hands. I find out some, oh man, what's the matter? My, my arm hurts. I can't lift it up. Oh, really? Do you believe the Lord can heal you? Yeah. Boom. So that's my thing. My daughter said hers was, uh, of the five, I think she started, said hers was, uh, I think quality time. I'm not sure I'll have to ask her again. She turned me on to it though. She's in Myrtle Beach, but we talk every day. What's yours, Bob? Think about it. Acts of service. Okay. Acts of service. Now, how do you, how do you, um, bring that out? Your, 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 uh, your love language through acts of service. Oh, in various like ways. Journalism. Acts journalism, okay, hosting so a talk show and, and serving okay. other people off air. Yes. Yes. That's an act of service. And let me tell you what else I thought about. Because in our, in our fleshly carnal mind, we get down on people. You know how, like, protesters, oh, what are those protesters doing? They're protesting out in front of the brim, rah, rah, they ought to arrest them. No, that's an act of service. They're usually protesting for people who look like them. That's a quote they use a lot on the news. They look like me. Or they're protesting for someone who's down and out, and they feel they shouldn't be in jail. They should be in a, a hospital, right? That's an act of service. Well, I think, it's, I, I think it's important to try to have more empathy for people. Yes. Um, and, and try try when possible to understand what people are going through even if you haven't had to endure the same thing try to put right. yourself in their shoes and try to imagine yourself in their situation and then try to exhibit some compassion now what would words of affirmation be the other day somebody walked up to me and said oh i love your sneakers i just bought this nice black expensive pair of sneakers so because my you know you got, you got the, uh, what do you call on the bottom of your feet sometimes you get them, and um, calluses. And I said, yeah, yeah, you know, that's, that's kind of like they try to, would that be words of affirmation to affirm that you look nice? Oh, I like your dress. Things like that. Words well, of affirmation. Some, you know, it can be you know, any, anything Quality. that's a, a positive comment. <clears throat> yeah, positive comment, yep. You know, so words when, of affirmation, yeah. acts of service, gifts, quality time, and physical touch are the five. Look them up, people. All right. Thank you. Hope you have a great day. Yes. You too, Bob. God bless you. 1128, this is Bob Joseph on News Radio WNBF, serving you on the air every weekday morning from 9 to noon with a phone number that just can't change. Phone company could try to change it, but I don't think they would be successful. 607-772-1290. Give us a call. Share some thoughts about what's going on in your world on this Thursday morning. This is News Radio WNBF, 921 FM, 1290 AM, always available on the free WNBF app. Did you...
WNBF. Bob Joseph live on your Thursday morning. Thank you for spending some of your time with WNBF. 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, and streaming at WNBF.com. Dave from Vestal, good morning. You're on the air. Yeah, good morning, Bob. Uh, Happy New Year to you and uh, everyone out there. Hey, um, a couple things, and I'll try to do it quickly. Um, Earlier you had Ron on. And uh, he was mentioning how you know the news, the media is going bonkers over the big story about that that poor NFL uh, kid that happened to there, Bob. That uh, it, it is sad. Um, but you know, he's got to realize that was done on live TV, not just on ESPN. It was on ABC too. So it was the only game. It was nationally televised. Everyone got to see it. And like everything else, I agree with him. You know, your your cable news uh, uh, networks, if, if something big, if something important happens, they'll latch on to it. They'll have panels. They'll have it on 24 hours a day for three, four days straight. That's just how it is. So it, it's not just a, just this topic. It, it happens with a lot of things. And everyone saw it. And Speaking of football, I mean, I hate to change the topic because you guys have been covering community topics here. I've been listening, and it's all important stuff. But in the NFL, Bob, right now, follow me now, there is one wild card spot left open in the NFC, and it's between Seattle, Green Bay, and Detroit. And the NFL, I'm accusing them of of putting their thumb on the scale and wanting Aaron Rodgers so badly in the Green Bay Packers in the playoffs because the almighty dollar, I believe, that the scheduling, what they did is they put Seattle playing at home against the Rams at 425. And they put the Packers in Detroit playing at 820. Now, here's a scenario. Seattle can only get in if they win their game against the Rams and Detroit beats the Packers. So Seattle's playing before that game. Seattle wins their game. Detroit's knocked out. What is their incentive to knock Green Bay off to help Seattle get in? It's it's for the Packers. It's exactly what they're doing. And I can't believe people aren't screaming about that. They're being very unfair. Well, why, why would people scream? It's the NFL trying to maximize profits. That's the story of America. Every company, every outfit, they have only one goal, to maximize profits, I have to say. If you are to scream about the NFL trying to increase the dollars that ultimately the organization brings in, if you scream about it, some would call you anti-American. Right, but the fair thing, Bob, is they should have made them play at the same time. That's what they did last year. Teams that had something on the line, they made them play all at the same time. So something like this couldn't happen. They're putting their thumb on the scale. It's not fair. If I was Pete Carroll in the Seattle uh, uh, Seahawks, (laughs) I'd be screaming money. Well, it's too bad. And they can't scream because everybody, I know everybody thinks that that it's all uh, fiercely competitive, I don't care what team you work for or if you're an owner or or whatever. If you're part of the organization, NFL, whether it's Giants or Bills or Bengals or Lions or whatever. I mean, 
you all work for the same company, so in the end, you better not criticize them too much publicly. A little bit of criticism is permitted because that helps with storylines and it helps, well, it used to help sell newspapers. Now there's no hope for that, but it also gets clicks and ratings for radio and TV. So to a degree, you can have a little bit of controversy, but you better not go too far or else the commissioner will have a word with you. That's true. Yeah, I mean, and again, it's it's not exactly like world wrestling or UFC or all this this wacky stuff, but it's still they're in the business of entertainment. It's a business of entertainment now more than ever, a business of gambling. But billions and billions and billions of dollars are at stake here. And in the end, woe unto the person who actually ag- aggressively criticizes the money machine. Yeah, I know. See what I'm saying? But, but now I understand what you're the point you're making from a fan standpoint, I get. I'm talking about the NFL and trust me when I say this, and I'm not condemning them for it, it's just the honest truth, the NFL doesn't give a damn about the fans. The NFL gives a damn about the money. The money that the fans pay, the money the fans pay to get into the venue, how much they spend when they're there, how much they spend on licensed merchandise, and of course, most importantly, uh, the, the companies, TV networks and streaming services, who, who pay the, the rights fees. It's all about the money. Fans be damned. That's right, and that's why they're blatantly assisting Aaron Rodgers and the Packers into the playoffs because it's good for the NFL. Exactly, and, the and, and so in in their own way, they're as bad as as the wrestling people because they want a storyline. And trust mm-hmm. me, their network mm-hmm. enablers want a storyline, not because it's fair to the fans or even fair to the individual teams and players. It's about the money. It's about the money. And and in the end, money talks, no one walks. 1139, David in Port Dickinson, you're on the air. Well, David, you're welcome to call back. Our number is 607-772-1290. So if you have thoughts about the fairness of the NFL, certainly share them. I'll probably basically agree with your point about whether it's scheduling or other aspects of the NFL, but never lose sight of the most important thing. Do you have a wallet? I'm going to pull out my wallet right now. Can't see it, but truly, it's a wallet filled with cash. And that's, I'm looking at the back of this official currency issued by someone somewhere in this country. In cash, we trust. And that's the motto of the NFL Corporation and everyone else. (laughs) I know, it's sad, isn't it? Except for the fact that it's true. It's 1140, Bob Joseph. If you have some thoughts, call me on this Thursday morning. This is WNBF, WNBF WNBF.com.
guest, George Santos. I don't w- believe a word you're saying. <laughs> we can't go on together with suspicious I saw George Santos yesterday. They had a picture of him in the House of Representatives, in the House Chamber. Nobody would talk with him. His pants were on fire. Oh, that's low. That's low for the Prince of Prevarication. George Santos, welcome to the House of Representatives. Martin from Binghamton, good morning. Yes, I saw a cameo shot of him. He was slithering around the back. There and uh, by himself too, like you said, you know. Yeah, I almost for a moment when I saw some of the pictures, I almost felt sorry for him. Then I got over it. Well, I don't. I don't know that. What a uh, imposter! But um, while you were away, um, I don't know if you heard about the guy that uh, rescued like twenty some people. No, tell me about it. Um, and well, first of all, there. Uh, the last caller on Tuesday said that uh, the, blaming the governor said she never, you know, once said anything about a storm or blizzard coming. I mean, are you kidding? I mean, it was all over the news. I mean, I uh, I turned on the TV at morning uh, spectrum. She had a news conference because she lives right there, and and uh, her house uh, got hit, of course, during later and the pipes got burst and everything else. But the story about is about a guy named Jay and that he got a call from his friend to come bail him out. He was stuck. So he goes and he's got a truck and he gets stuck. Then he gets out and then he's on his way over to get his friend and he gets stuck again. And now he's stuck. And in the meantime, his friend calls me, he goes, well, I'm safe. I got out. <laughs> so, um, so he continues and, um, and then he can't get out. And this, the blizzard is just unbelievable, you know? And so he meets a, a guy walking down the street in sneakers and a light jacket. And he says, come on, come on in my car, come on in my truck. And then he's in there in the truck. And then he sees a woman in a, in a, in a car parked up an elderly woman and they so all three of them get together and they're huddling in the truck. And, and so, um, the, the car runs out of gas, his car runs. So she, they go in her car and then it, that runs out of gas. So then he remembers he saw a light back there, like some kind of a building, whatever. So he took a pair of brake pads and with him and it was a school and he broke the window and went in and got into the school and then got, uh, I think her name is Mary and we missed on the other guy's name, but then they got into the school and so he gets in, so they're safe and warm and the alarm's going off and everything else. He got rid of the alarm, but then he goes back out. What a Samaritan going back out. Oh, wait a minute. Very important part by himself before that he went and he knocked on 10 different doors and offered people up to $500. If I could sleep on your floor and he got rejected by everybody. Everybody, and they talk about, no, this is not Buffalo, it's Chictawaga, but they say about how they all come together. Well, so much for that. But, you know, on the other side of that, though, Bob, I mean, you know, people are always worried about society. I mean, you know, what's this guy going to do? You know, they're worried about a stranger or something, but my God, this is a, a huge freaking storm. But Well, thank you for calling it to my attention. I'm just uh, catching up now, and I, I see that... Uh... There are a few um, comments he made. This is just a four-second clip of what uh, Jay had to say after that uh, situation where he broke into the Pine Hill School in Cheektowaga. It was a matter of survival. It was uh, just a very scary situation to be in. So there. I, and again, 
I appreciate your mentioning this to me because I was on a news holiday, so I was news-free for about ten and a half days. So this is the first I'm hearing about it. But uh, what a what a great story! I'm reading some of the the stories that were posted, not just here in the U.S. but around the world. Yes, and and he uh, he went back out and they, he got about another seventeen people, eighteen people, and they spent. Uh, Christmas morning in there together, and he went in and he broke into the cafeteria and got some um, food, um, you know, just some staples, some vegetables and snacks and everything, you know, some sustenance, and then got some wrestling mats so they all could sleep. And there's a, there, you'll probably see a picture of that. So they all yeah, Christmas I'm looking at some of there. some of the video. Yeah. Well, let, thank you for alerting me to that. I'm glad to to hear that, even though. There was tragedy related to all the snow. That also, there were heroes, and so I yeah. I uh, appreciate your letting me know about that. Can I get one more comment in, please? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, then he also in the morning they broke into the janitor's room and got snow blowers and was able to get all the cars out and everything else. But I was thinking about that the other night, walking the dog, and it's like, um, you know. Um, how many other people might have been stranded and knocked on doors and were rejected and had to go back to their car and expired in their cars? I mean, you know, um, and I thought about Bob Dylan's storm uh, song, you know, come in, I'll, I'll give you shelter from the storm, you know. But, um, you know, the other side of that, like I said earlier, is maybe, uh, you know, people worried about, you know, who am I letting in, you know, about the society and stuff like that. But, my God, that that was a – for Buffalo, even, that was a historic storm. But, anyway, God bless that uh, that young man, Jay. And, you know, he saved about maybe 17 people's lives. Yeah, some you of know? the stories so. said even a couple of dozen. Yeah. So yeah. Co- I and, commend uh, him, and I thank you for letting me know about that. It's 1148. Bob Joseph with you on WNBF. David in Port Dickinson, good morning. Good morning. How are you today? Well, I'm doing well. How are you? Doing pretty good. I'd just like to comment on the Jason Gardner interview you just had. Yes, what do you think? Um. Well, I personally know several Broome County employees, and I just found what he was saying to be lacking in in facts. Um, the supposed bonus that was paid out to DSS employees was $1,000. By the time taxes are done, you can do the math. Um, Willow Point Nursing Home got 4000 Binghamton City employees are getting 8000 I'm just curious as to why the disparity between the different groups of the Broome County government. Yeah, good question. Good question. And And I also know that all the money that he's saving from not giving these people raises goes into a general slush fund that he's free to do whatever he wishes so he doesn't want to fill these positions. He wants to work everybody as hard as possible. So they're walking out the door, and he won't even he won't even answer a phone call from their union. From well, their union hopefully home. he'll. Hopefully, now that we are shining a spotlight on it, hopefully he'll 
um, be inclined to communicate with the union and and sit down and talk because from what I've heard, a lot of people are are not happy and understandably so. So maybe maybe some steps can be taken. I don't think there's any way to please everyone, but there may be a way to improve things going forward, and that's that's what we'll see what happens. I. I certainly, well, I, 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 I certainly hope that some things will change so people will stay at whether it's DSS or in other county jobs longer and feel more satisfied with the work they're doing. Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, everybody likes to see new parks and stuff being built. And, but with the situation with the homeless in this town, in this town I mean, those parks are going to be full of tents before too long. Well, we already look around. Look around at yep. you don't have to walk far, probably, from your home or your place of employment right now to see people who are out in the cold. It's uh, it's a very, very disturbing sight. Appreciate your call, David. Thank you. You have a good day, sir. You too. It's eleven fifty-one. I'm Bob Joseph. In case you didn't know, I was born here in Binghamton. I work here in Binghamton. I report on Binghamton and the surrounding communities for News Radio WNBF. For New- News Radio 1290 It's the real radio station with the real radio guy who really answers his phone. Carol in Johnson City. Good morning. You're on the air. Oh, good morning. Uh, when Sandy, was it Sandy from. Port Dickinson called? Yes. She was from, anyway, when she said uh, having, was she the one that said have people call in? Well, uh, when she mentioned sewage treatment plant, I immediately called George Kolba. And uh, he, uh, and you know George, Mr. Kolba. Uh, he is, uh, he was currently at the, uh, having a meeting with someone at the sewage treatment plant. He answered the phone. He, uh, he knows me. I've known him for years. And uh, I told him what was being said. And so you may want to uh Expect a call from him in the next day or so. All right. Either I'll oh, call him, I'll call him, or he can call me. I mean, we we t- occasionally talk. I haven't spoken with him uh, in several weeks. I think the last time I spoke with him, he was actually out of town, but still, we had a a good chat. And uh, uh, it's all it's a it's a subject that's very near and dear to my heart because uh, when I bought a house in eighty five, nineteen eighty five, uh, it was eight blocks away from the sewage treatment plant. It was near the river, but uh, so when the state took my house in 2003 for the traffic circle, I moved those eight blocks closer to the sewage treatment plant because of the house and the location, not necessarily. So I am directly across the river from the sewage treatment plant now. And uh, whoever called and said that there was a terrible stench, maybe it was a day when uh, they take the covers off, or maybe it was an 85 I mean, a 95-degree day, I think, when it got really hot there in the summer. But having lived here and being in this neighborhood for the past, since 2003, I would say I hardly smelled anything. Of course, it always depends on the wind shifting. Sure. Well, there can be certain situations. All right. Well, I'll uh, be waiting to to hear from Mr. Cole, but thank you for your call. Okay. 11.56, Bob Joseph live on WNBF. I never write...
I'm Bob Joseph. That's all for now. But don't worry, I'm coming back for more tomorrow morning. Here on News Radio. WNBF, Binghamton.